Hello, and welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show, a podcast to help you unlock tremendous growth for your app. My name is Shamant Rao. I'm the CEO of the boutique growth marketing firm, Rocketship HQ, and host of the podcast, Mobile User Acquisition Show. In each episode, we feature experts in the field of mobile growth and discuss strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile growth marketing. By the end of each episode, you will have gained actionable and tactical insights that will help you make more informed decisions in your own work around growth. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is produced by Meryl Vincent, Content Marketing Manager at Rocketship HQ. Our guest today is Yere Parthanen, Principal at Sisu Game Ventures, a seed fund focused on games. In today's interview, Yere, Builds the beans on strategies for early stage fundraising, making the most of funds, what investors look for, typical pitfalls gaming companies fall into, managing growth with limited funds and fundraising challenges in a tough economy, and much, much more. Yari, welcome to the show. Well, hello. Nice to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. So because you're very highly recommended and you're very plugged into all things gaming and I'm excited to dive into aspects of game investing that you're very, very plugged into today to get started, right? So when entrepreneurs are looking to raise a seed round for a gaming company, what are some of the typical milestones at which you recommend that they start to raise? Right. So this is an interesting question, especially when it comes to mobile studios in the post-IDFA world. And the fact is that there's not necessarily a clear-cut answer. I mean, some of the other funds that may invest slightly larger amounts in traditional seed rounds of, let's say, 3 to $5 million might say that they don't necessarily even want to see companies raising pre-seed because... In a lot of cases, what you can actually prove with a pre-seed investment is not necessarily going to be that meaningful for your seed raise, which is definitely a problem. So there's not necessarily kind of the simple playbook for raising that you can run with nowadays after IDFA. And you could say that prior, you used to have these kind of well benchmark early retention and some monetization and obviously marketability metrics being able to justify a proper seed raise, but that's not necessarily the case anymore. And so we're not in a space where there are these typical milestones. Very much depends on the level of ambition for the project, what team you're working with. And for very experienced teams, I'd actually recommend you kind of raise with just a vision and a team and maybe some early marketability testing. And in some cases, even having metrics for your game can be a detriment to your raise, kind of very much depending on the type of studio you're building. But if we look at investing in pre-seed and what these companies would need for a subsequent seed round, we do want to see them proving something out that they're specifically targeting as a core part of what they're differentiating through before raising that seed. So for example, are you looking to personalize content starting quite early in the player journey in a novel way? Can you prove this with the pre-seed amount that you have? 
Or if you're not going for a pre-seed, can you prove this out during the bootstrapping phase? Definitely not easy, which is exactly the problem for a lot of mobile startups right now. Or is there a focus on improving the acquisition funnel in some meaningful way? And how would you showcase that this approach works? So it's not necessarily a clear milestone because those early milestones are not as meaningful as they used to be. But if I were to give some more sort of generally applicable answer, I'd say that for seed, you would have to showcase meaningfully sized cohorts from an actual multi-month sort of timeline with enough content to show slightly longer term retention. And obviously this can take a lot of different forms and it is legitimately challenging for companies that don't raise initial money or their seed rounds are quite small. So I can't discount the challenge there. And maybe to finish off in, in this challenging environment, that is why a lot of gaming funds are not necessarily doing pre-seed anymore. And even for our fund, we're not moving away from it entirely, but there has to be something clearly novel or the team just has to really justify making these types of investments nowadays and just playing by the old playbook doesn't really make sense anymore. Yeah, and it's crazy how ATT has disrupted so much of the early process of game, right? So as you said, marketability used to be a lot cleaner, a lot clearer. It used to be much more easier to get those early signals. In fact, I was talking to the head of UA at a publicly traded company and they were like, you know, we tried launching a couple of games in the last couple of quarters and everything was so much more expensive and so much unclear as compared to the clear metrics they were getting pre-ATT and that's completely understandable, right? So I know you briefly mentioned wanting to look at the retention metrics. So tell me a bit more about what are the key metrics or product readiness checkpoints that you would like to see when you're looking at a pitch? So in a lot of cases for us specifically, given that we're a pre-seed fund, there's not necessarily like clear product readiness in the first place. We very much invest in teams and the product at that given moment when we invest is more of a reflection of how the team thinks, what their core expertise is, and obviously where certain gaps are. So it's not necessarily about where the product is or if there are these specific things that you're looking for. It's more that as an entrepreneur, for example, at Pre-Seed, are you showcasing that you're really testing the important things for your project specifically as early on as possible, showcasing that you're frugal about this, you can make things work with as little money as possible, essentially. So if that means that you have only marketability metrics, but you have a very ambitious game that would be very difficult to build in a sense where you get like day three (laughs) retention, for example, I mean, obviously in that case, it's difficult to expect meaningful retention metrics in that sort. So in a sense, we'd actually be more interested in seeing companies focus on interesting sort of unique operational approaches or different ways for building that sort of unique advantage for the company, for example, proprietary technology. Because the fact is that products at this early stage are almost always going to be extremely different from the ones that are being, being launched. So at a early seed, pre-seed, what you see about the product is 
sometimes it's just going to be very misleading for investors. And from our perspective, you can hurt yourself by focusing too much on the readiness of the product if you're not necessarily only looking right. at it as proxy metric about how the founders think. Right. If I understand correctly, what you're really looking at is what's the vision for where this can be more than what is the product right now? To, yeah, to an extent, yeah. it's about that. But I'd also say, like, as I mentioned, it's more about showcasing how you think, not only where the ambition for the right. product is, but if you have something you can showcase in terms of metrics without having spent any money and you've been in a difficult position right. without being able to recruit anyone, just the fact that you have something you can showcase is already extremely meaningful because a lot of companies just don't have anything when they go for pre-seed. Yeah, definitely, right. And once they raise a pre-seed round, what do you see are the common mistakes that companies make post-pre-seed with the funds that they've raised, given they're at such an early stage? There is sense, and that's a great question. I mean, the obvious answer is overspending and overhiring is an insidious killer of a lot of startups, especially for founders that are less experienced. In mobile, you can make amazing things happen with very small, efficient teams. But I'd say secondly, there's this sense where some companies commit too early to certain ideas without having a level of humility in the face of a difficult market and continuing to probe that. So instead of doing that, some companies end up just like saying, we have these early metrics, we'll focus on this game. And then they spend far too much of their time and resources on that without having clear milestones at which you should potentially kill the game if it's not really getting to those benchmarks that you would like. We tend to see pivots constantly and killing games is just the kind of how mobile tends to work. Hardly any company actually makes it with their first game. So one big mistake that we do tend to see is that companies, when they pivot too far from their initial idea to the extent that a lot of the insights that they've gotten in when it comes to building the first product are not going to be that applicable to your next title. So while you don't want to be too iterative in a way that you're not changing enough, there is that concern if you're changing genres or radically changing the core mechanic, what is the benefit you're getting from your initial game? In a lot of cases, it's not necessarily going to be all that meaningful if you're moving too far away from that. So I think those are some core problems we tend to see. Yeah, right. And I imagine it's also challenging just because they're operating with relatively limited time and resources and it's easy for them to go to either extreme fairly easily. Mm. So I imagine that's an easy temptation to fall into. Right. I'd maybe add one more thing because for seed and pre-seed startups, you have to keep thinking about when you can realistically start raising. So there is also a problem where we see some companies that have managed their roadmap in a way that they have, let's say, like four or three months of runway left when they actually need to go out to raise at their next round. And in this current market, three to four months is not necessarily going to be enough for you to actually raise. And in that case, I think the company and their investors have both made a mistake in assessing how far this company can get with a certain amount of money. Yeah, right. And you have to be more conservative, especially with the fundraising climate being rough, which also brings me to my next question, right? So it's my understanding 
from everything I'm hearing that fundraising has gotten a lot tougher for games. What are other factors that are contributing to this? And what are some of the things that you recommend that companies do to combat this? Right. So, I mean, there's obviously a few low-hanging fruit, and you can argue about which one of these are the core issues. I'd personally claim that ATT is the primary culprit in mobile, but there is kind of this insidious combination with an increased cost of capital, which makes it more difficult for you to get that enough money to scale UA when with larger, longer payback periods becomes increasingly difficult and VCs can't raise their subsequent funds. So they're more careful with their investments, supporting their existing portfolio, making these different types of bets outside the mobile. So I think that is contributing. Those are the two main factors contributing to a difficult environment. And when it comes to how companies can combat this is like, you really have to, and I'm talking about also founders who are thinking about their new company. There is the question about whether you even want to work through the common CAC LTV playbook anymore, or are you really forming your user acquisition strategy around something completely different? And I know a lot of companies are trying to focus more on influencers and approaches outside of traditional UA. So for a lot of founders, if you really have to ask yourself, are you bringing something new to the table in either UA or the actual game experience to the extent that you can really justify going for funding with a traditional mobile idea. And in a lot of cases, I could tell these founders that, hey, there's so many approaches you can take outside just building a traditional studio. I mean, you can build tech, you can look at using that games experience, both in the UX and UA perspectives in building like other consumer products. So this is kind of a rough answer in a sense, because I'm kind of saying that you have to really consider if um, a VC path for a mobile games company currently makes any sense. And in a lot of cases that we see, the answer is unfortunately no. So it's a rough market out there for sure. And then you also just have to be very cognizant about what VCs at different levels are actually looking for so that you can like offer uh, a realistic funding path if you are going for like pre-seed funding at first. So you have to understand what do the milestones for seed and series A actually look like so that you can convince your initial investors that you've kind of thought through how the initial first few years of this company actually look in a strong case. Obviously things will change, they always do, but there is a far cry from that and founders where there's this kind of sense that they just don't understand how drastically the UA environment has changed and what sort of effects that has had on venture funds and their appetite for seed or series A and so on. Yeah, right. And the first thing you said was about ATT, and I think it's very underappreciated as to how disruptive it is, even a couple of years in. And certainly, I think the cost of raising capital has gotten higher, and that's certainly a factor that ADD is certainly not appreciated as much. And it's not surprising that certainly a lot of folks still rely on traditional UA, but a lot of folks I know are also looking outside, as you said, influencers or other ways to really grow. 
and which again is easier said than done. It's not that straightforward as the traditional UA playbook, but it definitely makes sense to complement the traditional UA playbook with other approaches just now, right? And I briefly mentioned that the game launches are just much harder, much more expensive using the traditional UA playbook lately, right? So do you see that impacting your funding decisions for games? Because again, you're coming in at a relatively early stage before the viability of a game UA is very clear. So how does that impact your funding decisions and how does this impact the company's future planning and roadmap? Mm. So, I mean, it does affect both categories considerably. So if we're starting with the impact on funding decisions, so we've already seen quite a lot of impact on our end, and especially when it comes to later stage funds, which then obviously as we are at the top of the funding waterfall, we have to react to how these other funds think about things. There is the sense where a lot of funds are just not interested in, for example, mobile free play currently, given a lot of these dynamics. So while we're not necessarily as pessimistic, it has led to us being less excited about, let's say, traditional mobile deals. So these kind of fast follows, slow follows, not really a thing anymore. And uh, the second part of this is that we do tend to be a bit careful when it comes to pre-seed nowadays. We have to consider if pre-seed, let's say like a few hundred K to a million dollar investment actually nowadays makes much sense. If there is that gap at seed where a lot of these funds that used to be the ones funding these companies are not that interested anymore. I come back to what I said before previously is that sometimes pre-seed doesn't make sense and you want to go straight for seed like a three to four million dollars for example and that's not necessarily accessible for most founders it's just reserved for those who have a lot of experience behind their belt maybe they founded or sold companies prior so that kind of impacts funding decisions as well for us i mean for some companies if we could tell them that hey we don't necessarily see that you can make a dent with a million dollars that could have been like a considerable and meaningful investment prior, right. but not necessarily nowadays with, let's say, early retention and even right. early monetization results not necessarily being that applicable when it comes to the long-term performance of a game. And for us, what this looks like in practice is that we've just done fewer mobile deals, the ones we've done are very focused around specifically solving some of these problems. For example, using AI as a core part of your development stack in a way that you can just, let's say that 2 million that you raise lasts much longer. You can test more ideas. You can get more ideas in the hands of players to really de-risk properly. The second part that has happened for us is that we just done more PC console deal. That area of the games industry has a lot of its own issues. But as a pre-seed fund, as I mentioned, we always have to look at where the next stage of investors are investing in and to an extent also move there, which to an extent has been PC console recently, cross-platform, and I mean, obviously AI. Yeah. And yeah. So planning for companies that we fund there is that sense where a lot of these companies just have to look at their runway currently very 
strictly and see if they can extend that, let's say, to the early stage of 2025, see if the funding situation actually improves, if there are kind of certain solutions that you can see for current UA problems. So being more frugal is definitely a core concern. And we've been very clear with a lot of these founders that the landscape has changed to an extent that they cannot expect that the old burden of proof for a game is going to be enough anymore yeah. in the current environment. So it's just that companies have to be very cognizant about how this landscape moves ahead going forward from here. And in some cases, even though VC funds are not particularly excited by this, we just have to tell some of the companies that they may have to work with publishers going forward. For example, for a specific game now, I mean, obviously that may end up having them beholden to that publisher for the long term, but at least it keeps them right. alive and the lights on. Yeah. These are certainly challenging times, and that's certainly what I'm hearing out in the marketplace as well. Yeah, thank you for shedding a light on what's driving all of this and the mechanics underneath all of what's unfolding in front of us. This is perhaps a good place for us to wrap. But before we do that, could you tell folks how they can find out more about you and everything you do? Cool. So I'd recommend folks go to sisu.vc and check out a little bit about what we do, a little bit about our portfolio and how to reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to me at sisu.vc or just directly on LinkedIn and I'll try to get back to you as soon as possible. Wonderful, Yara. Thank you so much for being on the show. I hope to see you around. Perfect. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share.